Erwin Lutzer told a story uh, that is always stuck in my mind. Uh, he talked about a uh, representative from a, 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 a contractor that was uh, going to place a bid uh, for a very large company that had a huge multi-million dollar project uh, that this contractor was bidding to be a part of. And you know how these bids work. Uh, he would place his bid, his saying that he would do the job for this amount of money. And uh, basically all things being equal, whoever uh, of these last remaining companies submitted the, the lower uh, the lowest bid would be the one to get this, this huge lucrative uh, job. So the contractor went in to meet with the, the president of this huge organization. He's invited into his office. He goes in and uh, he sits down and the president is there and he greets him and says, uh, just have a seat right here for just a few minutes. I need to take care of a few things and I'll be right back. And so the president walks out and leaves uh, this contractor alone in his office. Contractor is sitting there in the chair and looking around a little bit and he notices on the desk of the president of this company happens to be a piece of paper and he looks a little bit and he notices that on the piece of paper it's from his, uh, his most major competitor out there competing for the same uh, bid for this huge job. And he notices that this is actually uh, the bid from his competitor that is right there. And so he thinks to himself, man, if I knew what my competitor was bidding, all I would have to do is bid just a little bit below that, and I could, I could make sure that I land this, this sweet deal, uh, this is worth millions, and I, I'd have it for sure. The only problem was that on the piece of paper, there was a can of uh, Coca-Cola, and it happened to be right over the number that he needed to see. And so this contractor is uh, thinking about it. He's kind of looking around. It doesn't look like the, uh, uh, the, the president or anyone is actually around or, or coming back. And so he's thinking, he's thinking, oh, this is unethical. I shouldn't do this. Uh, he's trying to see, you know, can I kind of see? But it's, it's right over the number. So he thinks to himself, he's looking around. He even, he touches it. No, no I shouldn't do this. And then he decides, well, I'll just, I'll just do this really quick. And he picks up the can to look at the number, and as he does it, all of a sudden, hundreds and hundreds of BBs come streaming out from the bottom of the can, all over the floor, and all over the office. When Adam rebelled against God by eating the forbidden fruit, uh, he did something that he could not undo. Adam's one act of disobedience in eating that forbidden fruit unleashed a flood of consequences upon this world. flood of consequences that he could not undo, changing this world forever. And because of these consequences have been released into the world, death, disease, dysfunction, disorder, we live in this world that we live in now on this side of Genesis 3. We no longer live in the, the, the perfectly good order created world that God had made. 
We live in a world, there is still goodness, but there is also dysfunction. There is also disease, death, all of these things that are wrong with this world that were unleashed because of that one act that, that one man did in rebelling and disobeying against God. And we're going to look at some of these. As we look in Genesis 3, it describes uh, at least some of these consequences that were released upon the world. So if you'd read with me Genesis 3, we'll do 16 through 21. And to uh, Kim, our custodian, uh, when I said I would clean it up, that's what I would, yeah. <laughs> if I slip on one, this could get really interesting. So, <laughs> so Adam and Eve, they've rebelled against God, they've sinned against him. In Pastor uh, Nick's a sermon from last week, he talked about the, uh, the judgment that was against the serpent, and Satan through the serpent, but also the first gospel, uh, that although uh, there would be the seed of the serpent and uh, there would be uh, the seed of the woman, that he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise, and you shall bruise his heel, that uh, Christ would one day come to be the snake crusher, as Pastor Nick talked about, and we look forward to that day. We're going to be talking here uh, today about the um, the consequences that he gives to Eve, to the woman. Uh, this, this is Mother's Day. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fittingness to this. Not maybe what you'd want to hear, but it works. Okay? <laughs> and also to Adam as well. So let's read this together and we'll work our way through it. Uh, verse 16. To the woman, he, God, said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain shall you bring forth children. Uh, again, Mother's Day, and thank you, moms. Uh, from what I hear, it hurt. Um, and then it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. We'll talk about what does that mean. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Lots to talk about this morning. So the first main point we'll talk about from uh, the majority of the verses that we have here in this message is that the world was cursed as a consequence of sin. That when humanity sinned against the Lord, and specifically when Adam as the federal head, the representative of humanity, when he sinned, uh, it released these, these consequences. The Lord warned him of this. Uh, this uh, he didn't understand uh, all the consequences, but God told him that the day you eat of this, you will die. This was going to have consequences, and he did it anyways. We don't know exactly what he was uh, thinking, why he did this, a sense of pride, a sense of wanting to be like the Lord, maybe thinking there wouldn't be these consequences. Uh, but he did, and it released these into the world. And so we're going to look at two 
related to Eve, and we're going to look at two that are related to, to Adam. So verse 16, as we read and look at that again, he said to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. In pain shall you bring forth children. We'll look at that part first. And the first thing we see is that childbearing is good, but now fallen. And for each of these things, I want to emphasize that they are actually something that existed before the fall. So if we think of the whole story of humanity, this world, the Bible, in four acts, you have creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation, which is yet to come. And so you have the, the created world, created good, and, and that lasts for two chapters. And uh, then in uh, Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. And now we are in this stage where we live in this, this fallen, this broken world. That Adam, because of his sin, broke this world. And one of, uh, there are these consequences. But we still need to remember uh, that many of these things that we're going to look at today existed beforehand. That God gave Adam and Eve uh, the command to, to procreate, to, to be fruitful and multiply. And this was before the fall came into this world. So having kids was not the, just as, uh, the result of the fall. Uh, having children, having families, uh, bringing more human beings into this world, which includes you, is a good thing. Uh, we should not be uh, anti-child, anti-family as so many in the world are. But we also recognize that there's something that has gone wrong with it. That we live, uh, there's a fallenness to it. And part of what is mentioned here is childbirth itself. Although we're going to see this is also a stand-in for many other things that do relate to, to that as well. But uh, childbirth is, is something that uh, is, is painful. Um, when Hope was in uh, uh, labor with our firstborn, Eric, and uh, we were at the Butterworth Hospital at the time, and uh, we're walking in the circle doing uh, laps, uh, trying to uh, you know, get, get things going. And she's in, not in heavy labor yet, but, but in quite a bit of pain. And we're doing this. And uh, at one point, I remember I, I turned to her and said, you know, honey, this is because of the curse. And she hit me. Uh, <laughs> which should be a note to you dads or would-be dads. You got to think through what you're going to say. Um, another example. Uh, <laughs> later on, uh, that same day with uh, Eric, and at this point, uh, Hope is in bed. She's in, in heavy labor at this point. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to be the good husband. You know, it's my first time, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sad at these things to begin with, but it was my first time. And so she's, she's in heavy labor. I'm, I'm, tr I'm beside her. I'm trying to, to comfort her. Uh, but but all of my um, all of my little you know my efforts to do that aren't exactly working you know uh, they're there um, so I decide I know I'll I'll sing to her <laughs> so I decided to uh, start singing and I um, I don't know what did I there were birds <laughs> and <laughs> I think it might have been what it is and I remember uh, I started it didn't help. Um, she, she, uh, whacked me again, okay, uh, cause she was in a lot of pain and I was just making it worse. Uh, but then, you know, with her, 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 bless her heart, she realized I'm this fallible guy. I'm trying my best. And so she, um, she takes my hand and she says to me, 
I just want your presence. And I said to her, I didn't bring any presents. <laughs> and she hit me again. <laughs> so, <laughs> all true stories. <laughs> Mother of my children, I love you so much. <laughs> Childbirth hurts, or at least so they say. Um, you know, it, it could all be a grand conspiracy uh, for sympathy, uh, except that um, the Bible tells me that it really is painful. Um, and it seems like it definitely is, having not experienced it myself. Notice it says here, uh, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. And this does indicate that it was, I think it was going to be painful even before, to some degree, uh, that, you know, in life oftentimes there is, there is uh, pain, there is, you know, struggle, that it's not necessarily always something, all of our pain is not necessarily something that is bad or evil or the result of the fall. But it's, I don't know how many factors it's been multiplied, but it's, it's been multiplied uh, quite a bit. Uh, so childbearing was always going to have pain, but not nearly as much as it has. Again, I want to emphasize that childbearing is a good thing. It is uh, from the, before the fall, but is now affected by the fall. So this is one of the things that is talked about. And we notice here as we look at both Eve and we look at what Adam, and we're going to see that these things that are mentioned uh, by God as far as these consequences of living in a fallen world, uh, they really touch on uh, central areas of Eve's calling and of Adam's calling. And as we see you know, in our world today, also things that tend to be uh, central to, uh, to, to women and to men. Not that it's, we shouldn't overdo it and think that there's exclusively one or the other, but they tend to be emphases in uh, the callings. And so this really touched on the central area of Eve's calling of motherhood, uh, being told by the Lord to, to be fruitful and to multiply, and this being uh, so central to her calling. And I do think that this is part of the reason why problems with motherhood really are so painful. Because, now we understand that in God's providence and in his design, not everyone uh, chooses to be a mother, not everyone is, is called to be a mother or will be, some by their choice, some not by their choice. But I think this is part of the reason why living in a fallen world is so often can be so very painful because it is so close to a, to a central nerve that is in life. And we have to recognize, too, that this talks about pain and childbirth, but I, it, it's not just that. There's so many things that are related to this that I think would not exist if we didn't live in a fallen world, but it, but it does. And we have to acknowledge these things and the pain and hurt that comes with them. Um, there's infertility, miscarriages, birth defects, different physical problems to one degree or another that, that many of us have. And we recognize that God had created a world, he had created this, but because of sin, these are part of the, part of the consequences, part of the, the BBs that have spilled everywhere in our lives because we live in a world that has been broken by, by human sin. Some of these I'm acquainted with, some of these I am not personally acquainted with. But God knows you in your hurt, and God is with you, and he's there to bind up your heart as you go through these different things. So we see uh, the issue of motherhood giving birth is something that is affected. The second one, the second part of that verse says to Eve, your desire shall be 
contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And there's different ways we could word this uh, as far as uh, the marriage relationship. We'll word it this way, that the gender roles are good, but are also now fallen. Something that has been affected by sin. So we have to think about this, uh, that verse, what does it mean? Your desire uh, shall be contrary to your husband. Other translations say your desire shall be for your husband. Okay? Um, and, and sometimes we think, well, okay, your desire shall be for your husband. You're going to desire your husband. Uh, if you're thinking of that in a romantic uh, or sexual sense, well, it can't mean that. Why would that be part of, I mean, the curse is things that are, that are bad. Okay? So um, sexual relations are something that were created by God before the fall. Uh, that's how they were going to be fruitful and to multiply. And so uh, just that in itself, that can't be what the, this part of the curse is about. And also, this is not where gender roles are introduced uh, into humanity. And some people have thought that. Some people that are against gender roles and they don't want there to be any distinction between men and women uh, have said, well, this is where they come, but it's all, it's all part of the curse and you got to get rid of it. It's all bad. It's all wrong. And sometimes even those of us that do believe that there are distinct uh, and good gender roles between uh, men and women, especially husbands and wives, sometimes we'll look at this and point to this as a proof text. See, see this is where it's supposed to be, that the, the husband's the head of the home and they point to this. I would tell you, this is not where you want to be pointing to. Okay? This is talking about the dysfunction of the gender roles that comes into this world because of sin. So the point I'm trying to make is that I believe that Scripture teaches that gender roles are good and they existed before the fall, understood in the right way, but they have, they've gone sideways. Uh, they've gotten dysfunctional because we live in this fallen world. I won't go through them all on your back of your bulletin. I have a list from uh, theologian Wayne Grudem of nine reasons uh, why that point to distinct gender roles that were before the fall. And some of these, uh, the first one, Adam was created first, then Eve. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, if you read 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13, and that's the reason that Paul gives, uh, it's the, the explicit reason given for Paul's instruction uh, in that passage for male leadership in the church. Uh, you may not like that, you may or may not, but that is the reason that Paul gives in this passage. Back in Genesis 2, Eve was created as a helper for Adam. A helper is not a demeaning thing. Uh, the word for helper is sometimes used of the Lord. So it's not a demeaning thing, uh, but does acknowledge that uh, the husband is given uh, some type of uh, primary responsibility. That if you're here, uh, dad, father, that it is uh, on you most of all that you're making sure that you're watching over your family that they're living for the glory of the Lord, uh, that they are uh, loving the Lord, that you're taking care of them, all these things that you're supposed to be doing as a Christ-like leader, but you are also inadequate. And God knows that it is not good for men to be alone. He's provided us with helpers, that we complement each other, that men and women have different but complementary strengths that we bring to each other. And so, as I said, the, the word helper is sometimes used of the Lord. It doesn't mean that the helper is, is less of a being or less of a person. In fact, sometimes when you help your child uh, with their, their second grade math homework, okay, 
uh, you know math, at least at that point still, hopefully, uh, better than our, your child. Uh, just wait a year or two. Uh, but your child is still the one with the, with the ultimate responsibility to turn in that homework, even though you are assisting. So that's another reason. Adam named Eve. He, in Genesis 2, named her woman. He's going to name her again after the fall, but naming her woman and naming is a mark of authority. God created the human race, and he, he named it mankind, which is, literally means Adam kind. And we see other reasons, too, and you can look through these. Uh, God uh, speaking to Adam first because he had the responsibility. Uh, he is the representative head uh, and all these different things. So what happens is that I believe that there was supposed to be this order from the beginning of the husband providing loving, humble, gentle leadership for the family. And that what the fall did was it, it, it twisted that, it messed it up. So again, looking at Genesis 16, the second part of it, uh, when it says, he shall rule over you, that word that's used for rule there is a pretty strong term. You know, it doesn't just mean like some kind of you know, gentle headship. Uh, it's usually used for uh, you know, kings and governments with, uh, rather than just authority within the family. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty strong term that's used. And also the word that's desire there, uh, when it says uh, your desire shall be for your husband or contrary to your husband, um, this occurs a little bit later in Genesis 4, 7, when God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. That sin was there and it, it wanted to dominate Cain. And so this word for desire is a word that kind of means that, um, that after the fall, the wife is going to want to oftentimes take over. And just, there's going to be this struggle for power, this struggle for leadership within the family. A chart that I found helpful, this is also by Wayne Grudem, because uh, depending on your experiences that you've had, you know, even thinking through these things, you know, might trigger different feelings. Or uh, some, A lot of people, unfortunately, have not had good um, models to look at for this in their lives. But... Uh, the biblical ideal for husband and wife, the biblical ideal for husband is loving, humble leadership. So it's, it's leadership that is loving, it is humble. Uh, in the New Testament, now we know it's supposed to be Christ-like. We know that from Ephesians 5. So husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then for wives, uh, there is it's a submission, but it's a joyful, intelligent submission. And so if you're... you're uh, if the word of submission has bad connotations you know, to you, think of it as just affirming and helping you know, with, the, with the leadership along with your husband, but doing this together to the best of your ability. But what sin has done is it's knocked us out of the biblical ideal. And so what we have so many times is uh, people or couples that have either the air of passivity on one side or the air of aggressiveness on the other. So some husbands, instead of hum loving humble leadership, uh, they default to being just a wimp. I mean, maybe, maybe they're, you know, the, the tough guy everywhere else, but when it comes to the home, they're not willing to, to provide any leadership, 
you know, over their family. They're not the ones trying to you know, get their, their family to church and to, to Bible study and to uh, be a Christ-like example. You know, they, they're living for themselves. And uh, spiritually, they're wimps. But on the other side, the era of aggressiveness, where so many guys are, are tyrants. This is where it would be the, the toxic masculinity. And that is not what the Bible calls us to. That is, that is wrong. And the same time for women, uh, the era of passivity is, is being a doormat. And that's not what uh, the submission that's being talked about here, affirming and working with your husband as, as partners together in, in leading your family and the callings that God gives you. But the other side, the era was, it would be being an usurper, you know, trying to uh, jockey for position or to take over that. And I think that's what it's getting at. The errors of aggressiveness, especially uh, in that verse, that the consequence of the fall is that oftentimes, um, because of this, and what it does to our hearts, sin and everything, uh, that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, wanting to usurp and take over. And yeah, sometimes, guys, if you're being a wimp and you're not doing it for your family, providing leadership, um, somebody's got to. And you're making it hard for your wife not to, to do that and to fill that void. But that is something that's wrong. And for guys, when it says he will rule over you in that harsh way, uh, being that tyrant. So again, I believe that the gender roles are pre-fall. They're meant to be good. And so when we become Christians and Christ starts changing our lives, it's not a matter of like getting rid of gender roles altogether and pretending men and women are exactly the same, because we're not. We complement each other in equal in dignity and value and worth and with different strengths that we both need. But it's getting us back to that the biblical ideal that's in the middle. And we need to keep checking our hearts and our lives to reject either of those streams, if, extremes if we see ourselves falling into those. So these are part of these, these consequences in this world because of sin. We also see, starting with verse 17, let's read this. Uh, but we're going to see as part of this that the nature is good but now fallen. The, the natural world has been affected. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So it specifically mentions here thorns, thistles, things with the ground. But I think this also uh, communicates too that there's effects on the, the whole natural world, nature. Uh, just this planet that we live in has been affected in all kinds of different ways. And so we do now have, there's, I think, disasters. There may be natural disasters that there wouldn't have been if there wasn't for the fall. You know, diseases. I mean, think of these days, how much of the planet Earth wants to kill you, okay? And before, that wouldn't have been the case. Think of animals. It's hard to know how much have animals been changed before because of the, the fall. And you get into some speculation here, and it's always wrong to speculate too much. Um, you know, were there certain things that they could have been just the same, and now they're adapting to, uh, you know, new lifestyles and new diets and, uh, you know, death and everything that's brought into the world? Or did some of them physically change as well, too, with the fall? It's, it's hard to know. Those are possibilities, though, because we do see change. We know that the, the uh, 
well, we speculate whether the, uh, you know, the, the serpent was changed. Uh, uh, it seems like a strong possibility there, but maybe there's other things that were changed as well too, which makes you wonder about mosquitoes. Okay, going into summer here, mosquitoes. Uh, you know, were they different before the fall? I don't know. Were there maybe a few that kept their distance? Maybe it felt good when they sucked your blood before. It was like you wanted it. Come here, little guys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but things have been affected. I mean, there were some, at one point, some young earth creationists that argued that just entropy uh, began at the fall. Uh, but now uh, I think most realize that's probably gone too far and there's a good place for the, the physical laws of entropy in this world. But it does mean, I think, that, that things do break down differently. Things do fall into dysfunction more and differently than they would if we didn't have uh, this fallen world that we live in. And of course, the, the biggest example, the biggest change is, is death. And we see this at the end where it says, God says to Adam, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. He was made from dust and he would die and return to the dust. So even the, the nature of our human composition changed from us being uh, uh, immortal to now we're mortal, that we are subject to death and we are going to die. We're going to talk more about that next week. We also see, along with this, that work is good but now fallen. And again, we have to emphasize that work is good. Seems there's a lot of people that don't get that. Uh, work is bad, and uh, the last thing they would want to do would be to put in an honest day's work somewhere. Uh, but this is what you're created for. One way or another, you're, you're created to work. God is a worker. He created this work. God is a, a craftsman. And he created us to, in, in different ways to be craftsmen like him, uh, to be developing this world, to be uh, taking care of yourself, your family, and doing things that contribute to the good those around us. And so some of that means you go to the workplace and you're building something. In our world today, it's a lot of work with uh, sometimes with numbers and information. Uh, motherhood is a lot of work. And you are uh, in this process of nurturing and these, these children from baby to adulthood with a role that you play uh, that can't be matched by someone else. And so we have, there's all kinds of these different ways. And even in retirement, things, uh, not working for your paycheck, but, you know, to find things that you're doing to contribute to the good of those around you, caring for others, doing different things. I think we have a, we're wired to do that. And if we don't, um, there's, there's things that are off in our heart because of that. And so there's so many things we could go for a long time talking about stuff in our world that's wrong, that uh, disincentivizes people to, to work instead of realizing that work is a good thing. Not talking about exploitation, and there's a place for rest. We know that as well from Scripture. But work is good, but it is fallen. It is not work that is bad, but it's the frustration and futility of work that are part of the curse, that are part of the fallen world that we live in. This is why you have days where sometimes you spend all day on that one task that should have taken you 20 minutes, and then the whole day is gone. Because why did that happen? You couldn't find this, and then this broke, and then this broke, and you couldn't do that without this thing, and then this thing stripped off, and then you know how that is? Um, computers. Oh, think of how much computers have been affected by the, the, the curse, the things that just don't work. 
Anyways, because of Adam's sin, everything is now harder than it needs to be. We live in this fallen world. I think there'll be a day when Christ returns. I think in the, the new uh, earth that we live on, I think there's still going to be work. I think there's still going to be projects, but it's going to be stuff that we're going to feel very fulfilled as we're working and we're doing these things uh, for God's glory. So the first part of this message, the world was cursed as a consequence of sin. We'll leave you some hope here at the end. That Adam and Eve were clothed because of the grace of God. You see in verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You know, and then it's going to, it talks about being clothed after that, but why is this verse like just kind of sandwiched in there? I was thinking about that. And, you know, why didn't, okay, Adam named his wife Eve, but why say that right there? And I think part of this is God letting them know that by, that by God's grace, the human race would continue. And it would continue through Eve. I mean, through Adam as well, but through Eve bearing uh, children and all the mothers that would come after her. So Adam named her again, named her first woman in uh, chapter 2. And also Eve, mother of all living. Eve means life or life giver. And all human life traces back to Eve. And no matter what you've been told uh, by people on the, the science specials out there uh, that discount scripture and start with the belief that there is no God, uh, but we all trace back to, uh, you all trace back to Eve. So there's no evolution, there's no like group of humanity, original group of uh, people that we once come from. According to this, we all trace back to Eve. You know, and this was the grace of God that the human race would continue. Think of what God could have done. He told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, you will die. Because so you guys blew it so much for this human experiment. You're gone, Adam and Eve. Let's move on. But instead he gave grace, he gave mercy. They would die physically one day. And actually spiritually, they did die that moment that they became separated from God spiritually. But God would allow them to continue their physical life and they would have children and their children would have children all the way leading up to us did god owe us any of that no he didn't but by his grace and by his plan because none of this took him by surprise uh, that god had planned this from the beginning so eve here would be the one that through this all um, would have descendants and one day even having a descendant that would bring salvation into this world the seed that would crush the, the head of the serpent. And I think, I can't go into this deeply, but in 1 Timothy 2, which I already mentioned, where it talks about uh, gender and leadership roles, there's a phrase in verse 15 that says, it talks about um, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, meaning, which is a bad thing. He sinned straight out knowing what he was doing was wrong. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, so it was sin for her. And then it says this, it's kind of cryptic. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing. Like, what does that mean? The women are saved if you've, if you've had physical children? But I think it's talking about Eve and pointing to this fact that, that 
that she would bear children that would bear children that one day from her line, would, her seed would come this one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be the one to deliver us, that would be the one that would, that would fix this broken world that we live in. And finally here, by God's grace, Adam and Eve's sin and shame was covered by a sacrifice that God provided. Verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Remember, they tried to clothe themselves in fig leaves. They realized that they were uh, naked and they were no longer unashamed. Now that there was sin, they realized their guilt and they were ashamed. And they tried to cover it with their own means. And we tried to do that. But guess what? It didn't work for Adam and Eve and it doesn't work for you. On your own, you cannot cover your own sin. You cannot cover your own shame, but God can. And God provided the, the substitutionary sacrifice that was needed to cover their sin, to cover their shame. And notice what he did. It wasn't with more leaves. It wasn't better leaves that he stitched together and gave them. But it specifically says it was with garments of skin that God clothed them with. Think of the implications of this. If God clothed them with garments of skin, it means that that skin came from something. It came from an animal. It meant that something had to die. Something that otherwise wouldn't have needed to die, that died in order to cover their sin. And likely, this also means that this animal shed its blood in order that their sin and shame would be covered. And all of this, again, pointing ahead to the Messiah, the one that would come, that would be God's sacrifice, the substitute for you and I, that would give his life, that would shed his blood. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's why leaves wouldn't do it. But God's sacrifice an animal to cover their sin, to cover their shame, a sacrifice not of Adam and Eve's design or making, but of God's, that they received they received from him that covered their sin and their shame. And if you are here, and if you are right now spiritually naked and ashamed before the Lord, because you've been just trying your best to cover your sin, we all are sinners, and it's a bad thing with our fig leaves and however we're trying to do this. The good news I have for you is that God is here as well to cover your sin, to cover your shame. And not only to cover it, but through Christ to take it away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, doesn't just cover it, although he does clothe you in his righteousness, but he also takes away your sin and your shame that is with that because he, the innocent one, the second Adam, was nailed to the cross in your place and is risen from the dead in your place and now intercedes for you and who will return. And let me leave you with this. Think of the thorns and the thistles that are part of this curse that Adam had to deal with, that, that you have to deal with now when you garden, that are they're stabbing you, that are making things difficult, and you realize we lived in a cursed world. Uh, this is part of it. What did Jesus have on his head when he went to the cross? He had a crown of thorns. Jesus Christ 
on the cross took the curse in your place. That it may be lifted. May you receive this gift, this free gift, this sacrifice that the Lord provides in your place. May you turn to him in repentant faith. It's not works, it's just turning to him in your faith. Trusting that Jesus Christ has done everything that's required for your salvation. And you can know not only are you clothed in his righteousness now, but because he took the curse for you on the cross, that your sin is taken away. Won't you receive him? Let's pray. Lord God, we do live in a broken and a fallen world because of sin. And we can't just blame Adam because we sin every day too. And Lord, help us with the hurt and everything that comes through this, Lord God. But most of all, we need Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. And Lord, we, we repent. We turn our back on any rebellion against you. We turn to you, Jesus, and trust you as the one that shed his blood on the cross. We trust Jesus, who was our sacrifice, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know you, that I pray that they would turn to you in truth, in their heart, for the first time, Lord God. Acknowledging that they're a sinner, that this is wrong, that it is bad to be a sinner. That they would turn their back on their rebellion. They would turn to Jesus Christ, the Lord, as their Savior. And embrace what he has done on, on their behalf clothing them in his righteousness, taking away their sin, their shame, because he took it to the cross. And Lord, we long for the day when Christ will return triumphant. And until that day, may we live for you on this Mother's Day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.